Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 139. Uh, So feel free to open your Bibles, or it will also be on the screen behind me. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Dead Father, reading. Thank you, Jonah. Thank you, Sam. <clears throat> good morning, church. Uh, good to be with you again as we continue in the Psalms. Tim Keller in his book on marriage, writes this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Now, whether you think that that's your greatest fear or not, uh, I think he has a point there. It, It can be encouraging if someone compliments you or says something nice to you. But isn't it true that you can also think to yourself, well, yeah, but they don't really know me. <laughs> if they really knew who, what I was like and what I did and the thing over, that I did over there and so on and so forth, if they really knew all of that, then they would never have said that, they wouldn't think that about me and so on. It, it can be, in that sense, superficial. But the problem is... If we actually allowed ourselves to be known, if we revealed ourselves, if you like, to, to others, 
then that immediately raises the question, well, how will they react? <laughs> will they still like me? And so, here is the human conundrum. We, we want to be known, we want to be known and loved, but there is a risk in doing that. Now, of course, most people, especially those close to us, know us better than, better than we think we do. We think we're holding things in and they, they, they know what's going on really, but we want to be known and we want to be loved, but we think that those two things can't go together. Well, the psalmist today, he stands in awe of God. You, you can see that particularly in verses 6 and then verses 17 and 18. And he's standing in awe of God because God knows him. Verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. David says, you've searched me and you know me, you know me, inside out. And spoiler alert, God still loves us. Like, you all knew that was coming, right? So that's, we'll just get that out on the table. He knows us and He loves us. And so we're going to explore in this psalm how deeply He knows us and we'll see that He loves us yet. And, and how that, to some degree, shapes us as well. Uh, there are three, of course, main sections where David talks about the way God knows us and the reality of God knowing us. And then you, we would have seen, uh, as, we were, as Sam was reading it for us in verse 19, it really takes a, a sudden turn. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. <laughs> it just comes out of the blue. And so we'll have to think about why that is there as well. But as I say, he starts, we saw verse 1, you have searched me and you know me. And then in the following five verses down to verse six, he really just enumerates the different ways in which God knows us. He knows us when we sit, when, when we're relaxing, when we're not doing much. He knows when we stand, when we're, we're going around doing things, when we're lying down, when we're sleeping. He's familiar with all of our ways. Everything that you do, the way you act, the habits you have, the company you keep, the work that you do, everything, all the things that you do, He knows all about that. He knows everything you did this morning. I mean, if you've been in church a long time, you know, you know that this is true, but think about it. He knows everything you did this morning. He knows everything you did last week the good and the bad, your actions and your words. Indeed, this, uh, David tells us that he knows the words that come out of our mouths before if it's even on our tongue, which is astounding for some of you, given how much you talk. I mean, that's, that's quite an achievement. Um, uh, sorry. <clears throat> Indeed, we're told by the psalmist that he knows that because you perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows everything that's going through your mind. Everything. And, and just to sort of frame how we think about this, this is not surveillance. We live in an increasingly surveilled world. Uh, hello, Google. Yeah, just good to see you this morning. Um, uh, there are cameras all over the place and all sorts of things. 
this is not kind of surveillance. This is not God uh, taking hours of video of our life, if you like, so that he can watch it back later if he has a need to or something like that. This is relationship. You know your family. You know what they're like. You know what they've said this morning, at least some of it. (laughs) You don't know their thoughts. We don't know them as well as God knows us. But we know them in a relational way. And that's how God knows us. He is intensely interested in our lives and what we are doing and how we are feeling and what we are thinking. He wants to know about us. It's not just that he's keeping a record, he wants to know us. You get a sense of that in verse 5. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. You see, God is not just looking at us from afar. He's with us. He's, he's caring for us. He's interested in us. His knowledge is used, his knowledge of us is used to protect us and care for us and guide us. That's what, that's what that verse is saying. To do what's best for us. You are known. Now, depending on your disposition, that's either exciting, wonderful, or terrifying. Or maybe it's a bit of both. We'll get to the terrifying in just a minute. Let's just focus a little on the wonderful. God has searched you and He knows you. He knows your fears. He knows your struggles. He knows your joys and delights. He knows the thoughts that are flowing through your mind right now, the ones that help you and the ones that hinder you. He knows when you're overwhelmed. He knows when you're excited and full of anticipation. He knows when you're sad and crushed. He knows when you're angry, frustrated or tired. He knows when you've had a great day accomplished much or when you're giddy with happiness over the new job or new relationship or new experience that you've just had. And he doesn't just know the emotion that you're feeling or the thought that you're having, he knows the why of it. Why that is is flowing through your mind, why you are feeling that. And not just the simple why that we sometimes attribute, oh, you, you feel that way, you're thinking that because of blah, He knows the complexity of you, all the strands and the aspects of you that go into shaping how you feel and think and act in this very moment. Whether it's from the mundane, like how much sleep you've had, all the way to the experiences of your life that have shaped and changed the way you process things. He knows all of it. He's interested in it. He understands it. And on the basis of that, he cares for you and loves you. That's why the psalmist, as he gets to verse 6, says, such knowledge is too wonderful to me, too lofty for me to attain. Jesus says... Interestingly, when he's talking about do not worry, he says, your father in heaven has numbered the hairs on your head. (laughs) 
you know, I can count as far, high as five, and for some of you that would be sufficient. But for most of us, that's, 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 I mean, what a mundane and unimportant, at one level, piece of information, right? The hairs on your head, what does that matter? And yet, that is the depth to which he knows us. And if he knows that about us, the number of hairs on our head, he knows everything. And that is beyond our comprehension, that our Father in heaven would be that intensely interested in us and know us so well. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's incredible. That's our God. He knows us and cares about us that well. But that's also somewhat terrifying, isn't it? Because let's be honest, there are parts of our lives and our minds that are shameful, evil. Now, there are things that you might be ashamed of that are, that are not evil. It's just culturally conditioned or some, your, own, your own special uh, negative thoughts or something like that that are brushing through your head and you feel ashamed and there's actually no reason to feel ashamed. Not, not, we're not talking about that. Because there there's plenty of actual, genuine, legitimate, shameful and evil things that we have thought and we have done and we have said. You say, who, who of us would enjoy if, rather than having a service this morning, we, we decided to watch a video of their life with a lovely overlay of their thoughts, like an audio overlay of their thoughts, kind of as, as their life was playing? Who, who'd like to see that up on the screen? <laughs> None of us would. And yet that is what God sees in your life. No wonder when Adam and Eve first sinned, the very first reaction when they heard God walking in the garden was to do what? It was to hide. And so the psalmist says, David says in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It is at once wonderful to know that God knows us so deeply and is so interested in us and also terrifying because there are things that we have done that we do not want to be seen. And the problem is, as he explains in the verses that follow, there's nowhere you can go to hide. You can't go up to the heavens, you can't make your bed in the depths, you can't rise on the wings of the dawn, that's, that's when you get up early. Um, some of that for some of you, that's beyond you anyway, so you wouldn't, you know, just cross that one out of your Bible. Um, if you settle on the far side of the sea, God can still find you. There's nowhere you can go. If you were to hide, verse 12, in the darkness, even in the darkness, if you were to find the darkest, isolated place in the whole world, God would still find you. Indeed, uh, he, the, David says, because darkness is light to you, you, you make light. You can see everywhere and everything. All of our sin, friends, all of our greed and our selfishness, all of our bitter and self-righteous thoughts, our grumbling, our harsh words, our lack of love, our, our neglect or laziness, whatever, all of that and, and more, God knows about all of that. He shines a light on that. Well may we wish that we could run away and hide before the holy and righteous God. It's understandable 
It's not right, but it's understandable. And while I doubt any of you have actually attempted to run away and hide on the other side of the ocean from God, because you know that that won't work, the reality is that we can in some ways try to hide our sin from God. We, we say to ourselves, well, I just won't think about that. I, I won't confess that. I just won't I'll try and put it out of my mind. I'll, I'll think about lots of other God things, but I won't think about that. Or maybe you've been tempted at times to stay away from church, from your small group perhaps, or from, from the Bible itself. Because you didn't want to have to face God. You didn't want to have to face the fact that God knew all the things in your life, including your sin. But it does, that does not work. It's understandable reaction, but it doesn't work. And it's also not the end of the story. Because look, in the middle of that section, verses 7 to 12, there's this verse, verse 10. Even if I was to go to the other side of the sea, he says, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. That's not what you expect him to say, is it? If he's trying to flee from God. But you see, the psalmist, David, realises that even when we're sinners and even when in our sin we try and flee from God, He still cares for us. He still chases after us. Isn't that what He did in the garden? What was the very first thing that He did? He called out to Adam and said, Where are you? Why are you hiding? And he shows them, yes, there are consequences, but he shows them mercy and grace and even uh, promises the coming of Jesus. And so it is through the ages with God. So it was for David. Though we are sinners, though we try to hide, though we can't hide, he comes after us with grace and mercy. And ultimately, of course, he does that in his son Jesus Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. He came after us to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, says Paul. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, Paul looks at his life, he, he imagines that, that video, not that he could imagine video, but you understand what I mean. Uh, he looks back over his life and he sees only darkness and he wants to hide, but he says, no, Jesus came into the world to save people like me. And the fact that God can save me, me who persecuted the church, means that he can rescue anyone. He knows us. He knows us. He knows all the things that you've done. He knows it. And yet He comes to rescue you in His Son. Do you remember why in the Garden of Eden, why Adam says to God that he hid? He says, well, I was naked and so I hid. And and God says, well, who told you you were naked? Because before that, they'd been naked, or been naked, but they had been unashamed. Now, 
uh, there's a thing going on with clothes there, and that's why we're still wearing clothes this morning, but um, there's actually a deeper idea that's going on there. Because what they're trying to do is hide themselves, aren't they? Not just hide themselves behind the bushes, but hide themselves behind their clothes, not just from God, but from each other. Because it's scary to be known. That's the problem. Can I be known? Well, when you get all the way to Revelation, what are we given? White robes, which are the righteousness of Christ. We don't need to hide anymore because we're wonderful. No, not, of, not in the first place because we have the righteousness of Jesus who came into this world to suffer and to die. He took on our sin, He took on our shame and it was burned away in Him so that we now have the, only the robes of the righteousness of Christ and so we don't have to hide from God, we can run to God. He knows us, He knows our sin but He sees us as Christ and so we can run to the throne of grace and find mercy even at our worst. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, you see. He knows us and yet He rescues us. Well, in verse 13, uh, David having said, He searches me, He, he knows everything about me, uh, including my sin, and, and even if I was to hide from Him, he still, he still looks after me. And then in verse 13, He kind of, intensifies God's knowledge of us by talking about the fact that even, it's not just that He knew us as we lived, as we walked this earth, He knew us even before we existed. Indeed, God Himself designed us. He knit us together in our mother's womb, verse 13. He made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He, he designed you. All that is good and wonderful about being a human, He designed and constructed that in you. And not just in, in humans generally, that there's an awesomeness that we all share, but He made you. He knit you together in a particular way. And you might say to me, yes, but He made me, He, he knitted me together as a Christmas jumper. Well, you know, not everyone can be a nice jumper, but you, you, you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes we look at the way that God has knitted us together and we say, well, hang on a minute, that, I wish He kind of hadn't. I wish He'd made me differently. But how can we say that to the God who designed us? Now, of course, there are things because of the fall, uh, disabilities and genetic disorders and all sorts of things. Yes, and, and God allows those things because we live in a fallen world. But He designed you as you. And so we ought not criticise or critique the way that He made us. Even if you are a Christmas jumper with a reindeer and bell, you know, even if that's you. Ben had a really great one the other day. I wish you would wear it more, Ben. It would be fantastic. Um, if you're a detail-oriented person, you might think, oh, I wish I was a big picture person. No, well, God made you detail-oriented. That's how He made you. If He made you tall or short, if he, if he gave you red hair or blonde hair or 
He made you a people person or an introvert. If he made you really athletic or really not athletic and you, know, you watch the TV, you think, oh, I wish I could do that, I could never do that. He made you great with your hands or great at art, a great reader or someone who just really struggles to get through a book. Do you see? He made us in all sorts of different ways. So different, so intricate, so varied. And he decided that, the way you look, the way you think, the way you act, the way you do. He made that. And we dare not be a critique of the designer. But he not only designed us, you see, this is how well he knows us. He knows us because he designed us. But he also, we're told in verse 16... Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. Not only does he design us, but he shapes us. He plans our lives, written down in his book. That's to sort of show how certain it is. Now, that not raises all kinds of questions about, oh, the sovereignty of God and human will. And Look, simple answer, he's infinite, you're finite end of story. That's, you can't understand and you just never will until maybe we get to heaven. He designed, he shapes your life. The family you were born into, the culture you were born into, the language you learned growing up, it's amazing how much that shapes your thinking actually, the, the language that you learn, the way you process the world. The sort of family you were born into, the, the, the events that took place in your family, the school you went to, the church you did or did not go to, the friends that you had, the times that you live in. Right? All of these things shape us and change us. Who decided that? Did you decide which family did? You know, there was no booklet that you got to look at before you were born. Well, I'd like to be an Australian and in Brisbane... You, you picked none of that. God picked that for you and He designed your life. And because He knows, because He designed you and He shaped you, He knows you intimately and in incredible detail. It's not only that He watches your life, He designed you and He shaped you. See, you, you cannot get deeper knowledge of you than that. And that is why the psalmist says in verse 17, how precious are your thoughts how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where I'd count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God knows this about every human being that has ever lived, that lives, and whoever will live. He knows it all. That blows my mind, I assume, if we, can, if, you, if we can comprehend it even to the tiniest degree, how much God knows and cares about people. It, it, it floors us. How precious to know that our God is intensely interested in us. Even when I awake, even when I've been kind of out of it, I don't know what's going on in the world when I'm, a, when I'm asleep, and I wake up, God's been there the whole time. That's what he's saying. He knows us all the time. And so Tim Keller says, 
If, we were, if I read on from the quote that I, I started with, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, it humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for every, any, difficult life, any difficulty life can throw at us. We are fully known and truly loved, despite all we've done. That, that's what this psalmist tells us. That's what David tells us. And Keller is right, that does change us. It strips us of pride because God loves us even though uh, we, for all the things that we've done. He loves us nonetheless. He knows us to our core. How dare we go and look down on someone else when, when we know and God knows what we've done? It means we don't have to pretend. We can be ourselves. Now, look, sometimes in our culture that's code for, I can treat you however I want. That's, that's not what we mean. We still have to love our neighbour. God calls us to love our neighbour and we've got to deal with our sin. And yet we don't have to pretend. I don't have to be, pretend to be a, the sort of person, and I don't have to pretend to be an extrovert. Thank goodness. I don't have to pretend whatever. I don't have to pretend, I can just be who I am as long as I'm honouring God and loving my neighbour. Because God loves me. God knows me, He made me, He created me, He designed me, He shaped me and He made me who I am. I don't have to pretend, He knows me and loves me. And I can go through anything because... I'm not suffering on my own. I'm not suffering in the darkness hidden away from God. I'm not suffering and God doesn't, isn't interested or doesn't care or has abandoned me. None of that can ever be true. He knows me deeply, intensely. He is so interested in my life. He knows every detail of it down to the minutest hair. And so I can walk through anything because I am fully known and fully loved and he cares for me in his love. Now you feel like he could stop the psalm there, I think. Why does he go on in verse 19 to talk about the wicked? I think it's this. When you stand in awe of God, when you when you realise how vast his thoughts, how precious his thoughts toward us, how precious his love toward us, and you realise the amazing fact that the creator of the universe knows us and loves us. When you see people doing evil, when you see people, as it says there, who hate the Lord and, and rebel against the Lord and, and use his name, misuse his name, that is, like, belittle him and, and put him down. When you see that, you, you can't stand it. It's awful, it's terrible. It's abhorrent to you. 
that's why he says, God slay the wicked. It's not that David is putting himself up on a pedestal. We'll see that in a second. He's not at all. It's just that their evil is so abhorrent when you see, even just glimpse for a moment, the majesty and the wonder of our God who loves us and knows us so deeply. And then you see people rejecting him and rebelling against him and hating him. It's abhorrent. It's, it, it cannot stand. Look, it's a bit like... Uh, if you've ever watched one of those documentaries about the Amazon um, and you, you see as they wander through the forests all the amazing animals and all the incredible, incredibly complex ecosystems and the, the amazing plants and the variety and everything and you just think, man, this is fantastic. God is so good. And eventually, often in those documentaries about the Amazon, you'll get to a spot where they'll, they'll show you shots of where they've pulled a chain through the trees on, on the back of a couple of bulldozers and, and knocked the whole thing down and it's just mud and it's a wreck and it's just, it's awful. Now, if you were to see that landscape, the, the mud and the wreck and so on, just out of context, you'd think, well, that's not very nice. But when you've just seen it, after seeing the wonder of the Amazon, you go, oh, that's terrible. How, how could they do that? Look, I mean, this is so beautiful. Now imagine that you'd studied the Amazon for sort of 20 or 30 years and you really, really understood the amazing nature of that forest that God's created and so on. And then you see, like you'd be heartbroken, right? And that's what's going on here. As we come to understand the, the wonder and the glory and the majesty of this God who, who doesn't have to, but he intensely knows and loves human beings, and then we see people rejecting him, it, it fills us with anger. Now it also, as it does for Jesus, hopefully fills us with compassion. We want them to come to know Jesus and, and to be transformed by his gospel. But, it, but it's distressing to see people rejecting God that way. But that must inevitably lead us to the prayer in verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart, Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way, to the way, of everlast, way everlasting. You see, David, having realised how awful evil is, how awful it is to reject this glorious God, he says, hang on a minute, that could be me. I, I might be rejecting God in my anxiousness, not... Um, what we, you know, mental health anxiety, but when, when we try and control life, when we try and be in charge, when we tr forget about the God who knows us and loves us and try and do it on our own, that kind of anxiousness, don't, Lord, don't let that be in, in me. And if there's any offensiveness in me, if I'm rebelling against you in any way, in any place, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. You see, friends, when we see the glorious God who loves us, who knows us and loves us in every way, he, he knows our life, he, he, he follows us and, and is intensely interested in us, he designed us, we can't escape from him, he saves us even though we're sinners. When we come to see that glorious picture of God, we've got to then ask ourselves, am I honouring God? Am I serving him? Am I trusting myself to him? 
And so we need to pray along with David, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me, God. Lead me in the way everlasting. And of course he will because he knows us. He knows exactly what we need. And he loves us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that though you are the creator of the entire universe, you are intensely interested in our lives. You know our thoughts and our actions and our words. You know the good and you know the bad. And even though you know our evil, even our desire to escape you and to hide, you came into this world to die in our place to rescue us and clothe us in righteousness so that we might live with you forever. Lord, blow us away. Floor us with the majesty and glory of your care for us. Let us also say that your thoughts are precious to us, that your love and your knowledge of us is vast beyond imagining. And so let us turn to you and ask that if there is ways in which we offend you and dishonour you, that you would lead us out of those and into the everlasting way of life. Through your Son and by your Spirit. And we pray this in our Saviour's name. Amen.